Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. This is a new series that we're starting. This is not the first time we've done a series like this. Uh, This is a series where over the last two weeks we asked you to send in questions about God, the Bible, faith, Christianity, culture, and then we're going to do our best to answer uh, those questions. Uh, Why is it so important to talk about your questions? Uh, Well, when I was a Hey, uh, Drew, can you kill our uh, fog? I'm going to start coughing, and that wouldn't be good. People think I have COVID. Uh, I, was a, I was in Bible school. How many of y'all? Bible school memories, you know, good times, right? I was in Bible school back in the day, and um, our teacher was, um, she said, well, you can ask any question you want about God. We'll talk about it. And you, know, you got to understand, she's very, con- you know, very conservative, you know, like, like, like wore, wore the skirts, like her, her daughter's like wore the skirts, played violin, like all this, a very conservative, okay? So, yeah, me, my hands, yeah, automatically. So I asked the question, before Adam and Eve fell into sin, did they have to go to the bathroom? And her face turned like 20 shades of red. And she like coughed. And then she says, there's some questions we just don't ask at church. Um, So I'm still waiting. If any of y'all know the answer to that question, see me afterwards. I'd love to know your take on it. But here's the thing. That's kind of funny. But I believe church should be a place where you can ask questions that you have. Uh, and over the next couple weeks, over the next two weeks, we're going to be trying to get through as many of your questions that you sent in as we can. And here's the thing, you're coming, when you come to Refuel, I hope you're not coming to hear my opinion or to hear uh, Jordan's opinion or Mandy's opinion or April's opinion or Jeff's opinion. I hope you come because you want to hear um, the truth from God's Word. Uh, tonight, uh, we're going to be going into God's Word to answer two very kind of touchy um, oh, maybe a little awkward um, questions that you that you know, that you sent in. Uh, so before we dive in, I want to I want to I want to give you like a little disclaimer out front. Um, yeah, the question, the two questions we're going to talk about tonight. Um, one is, is is an issue that people people really feel strongly about. Uh, we're going to be talking about um, is is slavery mentioned in the Bible. Um, and as you know, that, yeah, that, that's a question that, that is going to bring up a lot, of, a lot of interesting things. And what I want you to do is I want you to have an open mind, and I want you to keep your focus on God's Word. The second one we're going to be talking about is, is how guys in the Bible had multiple wives. You know, we're going to be talking about some of that stuff, and, and, and that gets, to me, sometimes a little awkward. But it it can also be a little comical, and there will be some times that it gets a little comical, but here's what I want to ask you to do. I want to ask you to be respectful of the people who ask the questions and the people who are getting the questions answered. And, you know, if you don't feel like you're mature enough to hear about, like, a guy married to two ladies and not, like, just laugh the whole night, like, there's the door, okay? We all good? Everybody together? All right, so let's dive in. The two questions that we're going to ask tonight are these questions. These are verbatim. These are like word for word how they were sent in. First question is, why did many men in the Bible have multiple wives? Was this permitted by God? We're going to answer that question, then we're going to go to the next question. The next question is, what is the role of slaves in the Bible, and why did God allow them? These are two things that when you read in the Bible, you see those words and you see that described and you think, how could God allow this 
to happen. So as we're reading through it, I want to make a, a, a helpful like point before we get in there, okay? And here's the point, um, that some true stories from the Word of God describe behavior that God does not prescribe. You know what I mean by prescribe? Like you go to the doctor, you know, you've got a cough or you've, you know, you go, you, you, got, you got, you got like, you think you have strep throat, they do the little thing where they stick like a little thing like halfway down your esophagus, right? And then they find out you have strep and what do they get, what do they do? Doctor pulls out that little prescription pad, right? And he gives you a prescription and he says, take these drugs. These are good drugs and they will help you feel better, right? It's a prescription meaning do this. Some parts of the Bible are prescriptions. They're commands. They say, do this. Some parts of the Bible are descriptions. They tell you about a situation that happened in history. So in both of these questions, we're going to look at how it was described in the Bible. We're going to look at the description, but then we're going to look at the prescription and see what God actually has to say about it. Make sense? So if you have your Bible, our jumping off point, limber your fingers up. Yeah, some of you may be turning a lot. So everybody put your finger up like this. We're going to do finger limbering, okay? Go like this, okay? Stretch it out, stretch it out. Stretch it out. Okay, now that you're all limbered up, you're ready to go. 2 Timothy chapter 3 is going to be our kind of our jumping off point. It's a good place to kind of orient ourselves before we dive into the rest. It's 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. You may have heard the, you may have memorized this um, back in the day. But it says, all scripture is breathed out by God. These are the words of God. And is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness that the man or the person of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So as we're looking to the Bible for the answers to these questions, here's something to keep in mind. This isn't just trivia. This isn't so that you can get on Jeopardy and win a million dollars. When we go to God's word, we learn. It's good for teaching, it says, but it's also meant to transform us. So we're going to be looking at a couple things. First, you're going to see in both of these questions, the Bible is very countercultural in these two areas. But the second thing you're going to see is you're going to see some great comfort, maybe for some of you who are struggling in some certain areas. So now that we've kind of laid out the ground rules, it's time to just kind of just, just dive in. You know, sometimes when, you know, when the water in the pool is cold, you know, you put your toe in and you're like, there's no way. You know what you have to do, right? You have to dive in or you have to wait for your friend to push you in. So I'm just going to collectively push you all in to talk about polygamy. Look at the person next to you and say, what is polygamy? Maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> Things you never thought you'd ask each other at refuel, right? Um, so that's a fancy word for multiple wives. So here's the first question that was asked. Why did many men in the Bible have multiple wives and was this permitted by God? So remember how I said there's a difference between prescription, like Things you're supposed to do and things that are explained, things that are described, prescribed, described. First, we're going to see what does God have to say <laughs> about dudes marrying like, why is it that it's, all, it's, it's guys and a bunch of women? Like guys with multiple wives. Why, why is it there, there's like one wife with like multiple husbands? Well, the fact is guys are so immature, there's no way any woman could put up with more than one guy. Like we, we're just that immature. So I think that's why it's like that. But we're going to we're gonna, we're gonna look at what the Bible says about marriage. So if you, have your, if you have your Bible, remember I had you limber your fingers up. Turn back to Genesis chapter 2. 
If, if your fingers aren't limber or you're not, you know, you, you don't feel confident in just flipping back and forth in the Bible, maybe it takes you longer to find it, I'm going to have all these verses on the screen for you, and I've got them here too. I brought receipts tonight, okay? I got them on the screen for you too. Here's what the Bible in a nutshell prescribed. No multiple wives. You're going to read about guys who had different, multiple wives, but you never find in the Bible God smiling on that. You actually find the opposite. You find God saying, don't have multiple wives. There's a show that was, you know, before your time, it was in the 2000s. Um, it was called The Sister Wives. I'm not, I've, I think we watched an episode or two. Uh, I'm not saying watch it. I don't even think it's on anymore. But it was of you know, these people that were, were part of a cult. And this guy had multiple wives. And it was like a documentary, like following their lives. Here's what's interesting. Well, you, you'll find out here what happens to him in a minute. Okay. So, so the Bible specifically says no multiple wives. How do we know that? Well, Genesis chapter 2. Maybe you're familiar with it. You know, God, you know, created the whole world. Created yeah, the sun, moon, stars, this dust ball we call earth, plants, animals, and then God created us, men and women in his image. And then in Genesis chapter 2, it zooms in to describe how God created men and women. And this is what we read about how God created man and woman and brought them together. It says in Genesis chapter 20, uh, 2, verses 24 and 25, God made Adam. Adam's like, I'm a lonely. So God's like, give me one of your ribs, Adam. Adam gives me, God makes Eve. Adam's like, I like what I see. I think I like this whole woman thing. I think we're going to get married. Therefore, Genesis chapter 2, verses 24 and 25, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall hold fast to his wife, thus she will become one flesh, they should become intimate, and the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. So we see God's plan for marriage, right? It's one man and it's one woman. They leave their families and they form a family together. And they experience intimacy with no shame. What we see very quickly, though, is people in the Bible, shocker, don't live the way God instructs them to do. You know anybody like that? Look in the mirror and you'll find one, right? Here's what, we, here's what, what else we find in the Bible about God saying no multiple wives. Leviticus chapter 18, God's giving Israel, the people of Israel, the law that they're supposed to follow. This is part of what, for those of you nerds that want to know, there's three different aspects of God's law for the Israelites, the civil, the ceremonial, and the moral. This is part of the civil. This is part of the laws that were supposed to govern the land of Israel. This is what God told them. He said, you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister. That word sister doesn't necessarily mean like, you know, sister of the same mister. I mean, it could be like any kind of, you know, you know any kind of woman. Uh, you shall not take a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is alive. Pretty much what that's saying is one guy should be with one woman until one of them croaks. Was that too blunt? Until one of them passes away. The next, the next one we read, Deuteronomy chapter 17. Again, God's given the law to Israel. He's telling them this is how you should live as a nation. Talking about the kings who would rule Israel. And this is one of the rules for the kings, which they break, by the way. It says, he, the king, shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Deuteronomy 17, 17. 
Proverbs chapter five, this is written, and you'll see here, this is written by a guy who, who totally failed in this area. Name was Solomon. You're gonna see what, a, what, a, what a, like a, a train wreck of a life he had here in a minute. But he's writing to his son, and this is his advice from King Solomon to his son. He's talking about not cheating on your wife. He's talking about staying with your wife. And he says, drink water from your own cistern. Flowing water from your own well. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. What he's saying is don't go, don't, don't be collecting wives. This is not like trading cards. These are not Pokemon cards. Like one man, one woman together forever. And then what we see later, verses and on the screen, Mark chapter 10, Jesus confirms. Jesus is preaching and he goes back to Genesis and says from the beginning, God created them male and female. And that's why one man and one woman should commit to each other for life and become one flesh. That's God's plan. That's the prescription. God created Adam. God created Eve. He proverbially speaking whipped out the prescription pad and wrote the prescription one man, one woman forever gave it to Adam and Eve. So what do we see in the Bible? Well, <laughs> mo wives, mo problems. This is what happened to the sister wives on the show during the pandemic. Okay, it was already a bad idea. One guy, multiple wives, lots of kids, but then the pandemic happens and they're all like shut up in the same house. What do you think happens? Yeah, it, it was hard enough for your family to be shut up in the same house, right? You got multiple wives, multiple kids from multiple wives. It says all the signs, the Browns, that was their last name, were imploding during the pandemic. The whole family split up because it was not God's, it was not God's design. And what we read in the Bible is a description of people who decided they weren't going to live by God's standards for marriage and they were going to try it their own way. Tell me how you think it works out for these guys. I've got a list. See, like I told you, I brought receipts. The first person you see taking multiple wives was a guy named Lamech. Anybody ever heard of Lamech? Nobody knows Lamech. Maybe you've heard of Lamech. Okay, very, very not, you know, not a very popular dude, but he was the first person we know of that had multiple wives. And he is listed as one of the descendants of Cain. It's a really interesting uh, two chapters in Genesis. You got Genesis chapter four, the descendants of Cain. Genesis chapter five, the descendants of Seth. You remember what Cain did, right? What did Cain do? Yeah. He, yeah, he, he picked up a rock and knocked us and killed his brother. Like, bad dude, right? And you, it lists all of the descendants of Cain and how they had evil tendencies. And it lists all the descendants of Seth, like the, the good brother who, who, who did the right thing. Like Enoch, you know, the guy who walked with God and then went to heaven and never died, right? Uh, but Lamech, who had two wives, was listed under that evil category. Genesis chapter 16, you got this guy, maybe you heard of him, named Abraham. At that point, he, his, he, they referred to him as Abram. He had a wife named Sarai, and they were both very old. Maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Old people, it's really hard for them to have kids, right? They were in the 90s, and God told Abraham, hey, you're going to be the father of a great nation. Abraham's waiting, waiting, waiting for this kid to come, you know, tick, tick, tick. Well, Sarai has this idea. Hey, I have this servant. Her name is Hagar. She's young. Abraham, why don't you take her as one of your, another wife, like wife number two, and have a child with her so then you can, you know, God's promise can happen. Well, yeah, Abraham's like, okay, you know. And, and he has a child with Hagar. And immediately after the child is born, it says, Sarai looked upon Hagar with contempt. And ever since there was fighting between the son, of, the son that Abraham had through Hagar and the son that Abraham had through Sarai. And they're literally still fighting today. 
the Jewish people and the Arabs. Like they're literally still fighting today. Way to go, Abraham. You left God's design. Genesis chapter 28, you see that Esau, you know, Jacob, Esau, you see that Esau really doesn't like his dad. And his dad says, don't, have, don't take any wives from this city because they're all bad people. Don't take any Canaanite wives. Esau already has a wife and he's like, you know what, just to tick my dad off. I'm going to take a second wife from that bad city. Just to make his head, some of you do that. You do things to make your parents' head explode. Like Esau's like a grown man. He's still trying to make his parents' head explode. And he, he takes this second wife and it's portrayed as obviously a very negative thing that he did, a wrong thing that he did. Genesis chapter 29, one of my, to me, one of the funniest verses in the Bible. You know, J- Jacob was a deceiver. He deceived a lot of people. He made his living deceiving people. He goes to work for this guy named Laban and Laban says, you know, he's like, hey Laban, you know, I'm really, like, I'm really attracted to your, um, um, to, to, to your, your daughter, uh, uh, Rachel, and I would love to marry her. And Laban's like, yeah, sure. And Laban does this switch on him to where he dresses up the older daughter, Leah, who apparently was not as pretty as she was. And he dresses her up, does the wedding. They go, they spend the night together. And it says that Jacob woke up and there was Leah. (laughs) Like that's awkward, right? You wake up and realize you married the wrong person. So Jacob's not happy about that. So then he marries the other sister too. (laughs) Deception, right? Not good. Then 2 Samuel chapter um, 11, verse 27. King David, he's married. He is attracted to someone who is not his wife. He has an affair with her. He gets her pregnant. He has her husband killed. And then he marries that lady who he had an affair with while he still has another wife. And family drama ensued for a long time. Then the final one, it's almost too interesting not to just put the verse up. In, in 1 Kings chapter 11, you have Solomon, David's son, who was king of Israel. You think you, you think you have drama in your life? Just read this. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women. All the colors of the rainbow, all the flavors of the rainbow. He had, uh, this is not a typo, he had 700 wives. And 300 concubines. Yeah. You think you have relationship drama. And his wives turned, don't miss this, they turned away his heart. And his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God. Do you see all these people from from Lamech to Abram, uh, all the way up through to Solomon? Do you see when they depart from God's design, what happens? It's portrayed in a negative light. It is described as people who are not living in the design that God had for them because the prescription is one man, one woman, together forever, intimate and unashamed. So where where do we go from here? Like 700 wives. How do we apply that to our lives? Well, I guess first off is guys don't have 700 wives. There's something I think a little, more, a little more important that we want to apply in our lives. There's a takeaway here. The first is a counter call. By the way, all of you that are really good artists, we, we just need better, P, you, P, we need good artists to make better drawings of biblical events because this is literally the best I could find. Like, like, <laughs> so that was appropriate. Um, so this is a picture in Adam and Eve, of course. Here's the countercultural takeaway. Here's what we learn here that is so against uh, what we see on TikTok, what we, you know, what we're, what sometimes we're taught um, by the media and by those around us. Don't give up on God's plan for marriage and for intimacy. 
You may be in a family where the one man and one woman forever didn't work. You may be watching things. You may be looking around at other relationships that are going on and you may think, well, is it okay for like, you know, one woman, one woman, one man, one man? Is it okay? I've heard of the term thruple. Like that's a thing now. Like, like don't give up on God's plan for marriage and intimacy. It may make you, in a, it puts you in a position where you're looked upon as different. But the question is, what does God say? I'll take the consequences of living by whatever God says. The second is a comforting takeaway. Don't give up on your family. Do a good, maybe you should, do a Google image search sometime for awkward family photos. Man, there's some doozies out there. Um, there's some doozies out there. But some of you, like, like, like <laughs> yeah, your family is every bit as weird as this, if not more weird. Like, like you're, you're, in a, you're in a family that is, that is not in God's design. Dad left or mom left. Mom and dad are still together, but they're fighting. Mom's no longer in the picture. Dad's no longer in the picture. You're living with your grandparents. Or what, whatever the situation is, don't give up on the family that God puts you in. Because what's so interesting is you read about the family of Abraham who messed up, you read about the family of Jacob, the family of David, or the family of Solomon, you see God still works through those people even though they're not in an ideal family. And you have to remember, God put you in the family that you're in for a reason. Embrace it. Watch for God working in your family. So that's polygamy. I'm gonna take a breath before we go to the next one. Everybody take a breath with me, okay? So the next question that we're going to answer is what is the role of slaves in the Bible and why did God allow them? Um, need to start off by just kind of doing a, you know, giving a disclaimer and um, saying that you know, we, we do have a problem in America. We have, historically have a problem in America. Um, years ago, the Bible was misused and it was weaponized um, by people to abuse others, specifically based on their race. And unfortunately, we even sometimes can live in an, in an area where sometimes that still exists in places. And we have to remember what God's word says. And even sometimes when God's word says something and Uncle Bob says something different, we need to go with God's word. So the question, again, what is the role of slaves in the Bible and why did God allow them? Um, there are two things we're going to look at. First, we're going to look at how it's described in the Bible because that word does appear in the Bible, slave and slavery. We're going to look at how it's described and then we're going to look at how it's prescribed, what God says about it being, whether it's moral or immoral, whether it's something that sh should have existed or should not have existed. So let's look at how it's described first. I'm not a really smart guy, but I'm smart enough to read what, other, what smart people write. You can get a long way. Even if you're not real smart, you don't have many brain cells to rub together, if you read what smart people write. And this is what a really smart guy, his name is Paul Copen. He has a PhD from Marquette University. He's a, a postgraduate professor of philosophy and ethics at Palm Beach Atlantic University. This is what he said. 
This may sound a little academic, but just listen. A mistake critics make is associating servanthood in the Old Testament with slavery in the American South. It's kind of like the scenario... Um, Fred, it's, it's not like the scenario that Frederick Douglass described in America. It's more like a sports player, as described in the Bible, who's traded to another team to which he belongs. Teams have owners, but we're not talking about slavery here. Rather, these are formal contractual agreements, which is what we find in the Old Testament, servanthood employee arrangements. That word that you see often in the Bible that is, is, for, is often translated slave is, usually, is, is better translated servant and servanthood. And we're going to see how that's described. But he uses the analogy that it was more like a football player. So, First off, can we just all be glad Tom Brady's done? We never have to see him. We, 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 never have to, we never have to see that little skid mark play another game of football again in, the, in, in our lives. Um, but I got a picture up here of a dude. How many of y'all know who this guy is? Christian McCaffrey. Um, you could say this guy leveled up big time um, because halfway through the season, he was traded from the Pan Any Panthers fans here tonight? I'm sorry if you are. They're terrible. He, he, but he's a great running back, but he got traded from the Panthers to the 49ers. Ultimately, you know, immediately leveled up. So, so they traded him. He didn't really have a say in it. They just said, you're going to move from Carolina to California. And he said, Okay, because he was under contract. I mean, at any point, he could have walked away from that contract, but he wouldn't get paid, right? And if, if I was making the kind of money he was making, I'd want to get paid too. It's like, yeah, I can live in, 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 I can live in you know, crusty San Francisco for a couple years. If I get millions of dollars too, I'll do that, right? So that's the analogy that's being used is that someone who, who willingly put themselves to work for someone else so that they would be taken care of financially. Let's read how it's described in the Bible. Leviticus chapter 25. Once again, God's making laws for Israel. He, it says here, if a, if a stranger or a sojourner becomes rich and your brother beside him becomes poor and sells himself to a stranger, then he may be... Yeah, then, then he may be um, to the stranger, um, then after he is sold, he may be redeemed. So you see here that this person is not someone who is just being, we see slavery still going on today when human trafficking, someone who is kidnapped and who is forced to do work. You see someone here who is in terrible economic circumstances and says, this person has this really big house and he's willing to let me live in this house and eat if I will do this particular work for him. And I'm going to commit myself to X number of years to work for this person and my needs are going to be met. Poverty was terrible. Can you imagine in, in, in ancient times in the Middle East where there's really no water? You know, you want to live with the people who have water and you're very much willing to work for the people who have water and food so that you can eat and have water and food. Um, so we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Um, if your brother, a Hebrew man or Hebrew woman, is sold, and we can look at that, if you look that word up in the Hebrew, um, what it really means is sells themselves to you. He shall serve six years, and the seventh year you shall let him go free. God instituted a law, and they observed this law, that no matter what the arrangement was, if someone served for six years, they were given the option to be done with that service. It wasn't lifetime. And not just you should let him go, but when they leave service to you, if they decide they don't want to stay in this arrangement, if Christian McCaffrey says, I'm done playing football, when they leave, you should like furnish him with all kinds of good stuff. 
Like, like, like you, you should give them money, or you should give them clothes. You should take care of them when they leave so that they're set up for a good life. Next we read in Deuteronomy chapter 15, same, you know, kind of same passage. Uh, at the beginning, verse 1 of 4, here's the point. There will be no poor among you. This situation was 100% set up so that there would be no one who was living in poverty. It wasn't set up to enslave people. It was set up to help people not be in poverty. We see some other things that God instituted. Leftovers. Who likes leftovers? I love leftover meatloaf. Any leftover meatloaf lovers here tonight? Oh, it's so good. You put it on a sandwich, put a little, put a little a ketchup and mustard on it. Man, it's, it's so good. God had, God had Israel establish laws to where, to where when people were harvesting the fields, they had to leave the edges of the fields unharvested so these people who were servants and people who were poor could go get food from the edges of those fields for themselves even though they didn't own the fields. Uh, Deuteronomy... Chapter 15 talks about how they were required to lend people money if they asked. I put free money. It wasn't really free, but you get it. They were supposed to lend without interest. In Leviticus 5, 7, and 1, uh, they were actually allowed to offer sacrifices to God that were like less expensive than the ones that were required. You know, like the Great Value brand. When I was a kid, it was always Great Value brand. You know what I'm talking about? Walmart brand. Um, and then finally, every seven years, if anybody owed a debt, it was canceled. And every 49 years, people who lost their land were given their land back. So God had great concern for the poor. And servanthood was one of those ways that people would voluntarily enlist themselves to work in someone's household so their needs could be met for a temporary period of time. So when you read those terms, that's what it's talking about. That's how it's described. But how is it prescribed? This may surprise you a little bit. First is that people had to be treated with dignity. In Exodus 21, 20, if, if someone who was a master, someone who was the, 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 the master of the household, one of his servants, if he killed one of his servants, he would be given the death penalty. We're not talking about the death penalty tonight. Whole other discussion, right? But it, the life of the person who was in servanthood was valued as much as the person who was not in servanthood. Exodus chapter 21 verses 26 and 27 if a servant was injured on the job whether it was he did the injury or the, yeah, the person he was working for contributed to it allowed to go free no questions asked God told the people of Israel to treat others even those who were in servanthood with dignity why? because they were made in the image of God we also see that kidnapping and slavery was forbidden. Exodus 21, same chapter, it says, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him, this is pretty extreme. This is how serious God is about it. He shall be put to death. Do you think God has any appetite for slavery, for kidnapping? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. When Jesus came on the scene in Luke chapter 4, verse 18, he said this, I lost my place. He said this, he's quoting Isaiah 61, 1, that I've come to preach good news, release to the captives. When Jesus came, he prescribed something more than just equality. He prescribed unity. 
And what we see in the New Testament, you know, we've been in the Old Testament, what we see in the New Testament is people of all kinds of different classes. By the point, the time Jesus came on the scene, he, the, everybody was under Roman rule and there were people who were in the servanthood part of it and then there were people who under, under Rome, not under God's command, but under Rome were actually what we would maybe consider slaves. And here is what, here, here's what we learn. I lost my place there for a second, sorry. The... I'm really, I'm really, my slides are met. Hold on. Hold on. I'm going to find it. There it is. In Ephesians chapter 6, the book of Philemon, people who had people who were servants in their household were told to see themselves as equals, as brothers in Christ. In Romans chapter 16, uh, verses 7 and 9, the Apostle Paul, using God's words, is writing to this church in Rome, and he, he's addressing all these different people, and two of the names on there are common slave names. I think they're pretty cool names. You should name, one day, when you all have kids, you should name your kids these two names. Andronicus. That's an alpha name. Andronicus and Urbanus. Those were common slave names, and when Paul is writing to them as a free person himself. You know how he refers to them? As kinsmen. That's brothers. That's family. Fam. Fellow prisoners and fellow workers. Do you see not just equality, but you see the unity? Do you see the unity? I think maybe the verse that we leave on that really describes the way that Jesus changed everything when he died on the cross is in Galatians chapter 3. It says there's neither Jew nor Greek, that's a racial thing. There's neither slave nor free, that's an economic thing. There's neither male nor female, that's a gender thing. And that's not saying these distinctions don't exist. That's just saying these are secondary to what? You're all one in Christ, being unified. It's been said that like this, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. When we come to Jesus and we put our faith and trust in him realizing we can't save ourselves, none of us stand higher than anyone else. God doesn't just want us to be equal with each other. God wants us to be unified around Jesus. That's the prescription. So what are the takeaways from this one? Well, I've got a few. <laughs> there are three countercultural takeaways. The first is, I don't think we say this enough. There is no place for racism in the body of Christ. I don't care what things are like in the family you grew up in. I don't care what things are like in your school. What God's word said is that everyone is created in the image of God. And the distinctions that we have don't matter when it's compared to what Jesus did for us. So if you struggle with that, if that's something that you've been keeping in your heart, you need, to, you need to repent of that and give it to God and move on because you are out of God's will holding those thoughts in your mind and in your heart. There's no place for it. Um, the second thing um, that we see is that we need to set our goals higher than equality. We need unity. One of the most beautiful things, some of you got to be a part of this. You got to be a part of a worship service in the Dominican Republic. We were on a mission trip. You were fumbling through some of you singing worship songs in Spanish. And you stood cheek to cheek next to other people who you couldn't even speak their language. You, you, you grew up in totally different countries. Your passports looked different. But you were singing the same songs. And you were worshiping the same Savior. And that's the unity that Jesus has called us to. 
There's some things, there's some things in our culture that we need to work toward equality, but we can't stop there. We have to work toward unity. Then the final countercultural takeaway is we need to fight slavery as, as, an exist, as it exists today. You know slavery still exists today? The number one industry where slavery exists is the human trafficking industry, the, 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 the sex trade industry. And did you know that by just consuming pornography, you are contributing to that industry of slavery as it is right now? I'm not going to get too much into that right now, but I got receipts. Come talk to me later if you, you, know, if you don't believe me. Statistically speaking, there are many people in this room tonight that are contributing to modern-day slavery. Here's the comfort, because that, that one hit kind of hard. Comforting takeaway is that every life that has ever existed matters because they were created in God's image, and that includes you. You know, we, we've talked about people of different economic statuses. We've talked about people of different racial statuses. We've talked about guys and we've talked about girls and what it comes down to. Genesis chapter one, Genesis 26, God created male and female in his image. That God loved the world and God loved us as individuals enough to send Jesus to die for us. Your life matters. Your life matters. So we're going to wrap it all up, tie it up in a bow here by asking four questions. I've got them all on the screen at the same time so you can take a picture of it. You can forget it. You can write it down. I'm just going to like give it to you and you can do what you wish with it and then we'll get out of here. Okay? And here it is. Your move. First question. Are you holding back unity with someone because of their race, class, or social status? Make things right with God tonight and then make things right with people. Are you part of the problem today? Is an addiction or a habit that you refuse to give over to God because it's sin, is that contributing to modern day slavery? You know what I'm talking about. Begin working through God's power to break the chains of addiction. Are you struggling to make sense of why God puts you in the family he did? Trust God's plan and lean on God's grace. Look to see him working through your crazy, unideal family. The final thing is, are you looking for meaning in your life? You have all kinds of worth in who you are in Jesus or who you could become in Jesus if you put your trust in him. Polygamy, slavery, there's some theoretical things to talk about, but it hits home, doesn't it? So let's pray and we'll get out of here. Oh God, we tackled some very difficult topics tonight and, and God, I just, I thank you for our students. Um, I thank you for how attentive um, everyone was as we kind of had to work through some, um, some things that are hard to talk about or sometimes hard to understand. Um, God, thank you for the focus and, and, and maturity that you've granted tonight. Um, God, I pray uh, for those who just can't see their worth. Um, God, honestly, you know, w w without you, without being made in your image, without being bought and paid for by Christ, w we have no worth, but through you, uh, we can find our worth in Jesus. Um, God, I pray for people who are struggling in, in, in some of the areas that we mentioned tonight. Um, people who, who are, are addicted to, to pornography that just can't seem to beat it. Um, God, I pray that they'll find freedom in you, that you'll break those chains, that they'll seek out help and guidance. Um, God, I pray for 
students tonight who really are just struggling to see their place in their family and why you put them where you put them. Um, God, I pray that tonight you'll give them peace as they go back to that home that they struggle to fit into. Oh God, thank you that we're all people who've been bought and paid for by you. God, I pray if there's someone here tonight that doesn't know what it means to put their trust in you. They don't know if they're saved. They don't know if they have a home in heaven waiting for them when they die. God, they'll they'll take care of that tonight. They'll talk to someone if they have questions. God, thank you for being with us. Thank you that we get to meet together. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna pray and um, get out of here. We're gonna put something in the middle. So, a couple things. If you need to talk to someone, Maybe something that was said tonight brought up some other questions or something you need to, maybe you need some, some help with something. Um, please see me or see, see one of the leaders on the way out. Um, second is we're gonna have some people back there at the D-Now registration table. Um, register tonight. I think in two weeks we're giving away um, a prize. It's a pretty good prize. I think it's like a $50 mall gift card uh, for early bird registration. So like if you're on the fence about, you know, should I register now or should I register later? Well, do it now, you know. Um, um, so, you, so, so register when you on your way out. If you have questions, um, see me or one of the leaders. Who are we putting in the middle tonight? Taylor. Taylor, get up here. Kennedy was, Kennedy was right on it. So we're going to bring Taylor. Everybody else, come on up. Don't make her stand by herself. Stand right here, Taylor. Everybody, everybody gather around. If you're one of Taylor's buddies, get, get, pack in tight here. Everybody else, come on in here. Reach out and touch somebody. I'm going to put my hand right here on your head, Taylor, okay? All right, let's pray. Oh God, thank you for Taylor. Um, God, thank you for um, uh, just the just the uh, the the spirit you blessed her with. Uh, she always seems to be smiling when she walks in, and you've given her so much uh, ability athletically too, and uh, playing volleyball, and uh, she has so many opportunities. God, to um, to live her life in a way um, that. De- her opportunities to make a difference in other people's lives. Um, God, I pray as we leave, um, God, that you will, uh, that we'll sense your nearness, we'll know you're with us. Um, God, there's a lost and dying world out there that is desperate for what we have. So God, I pray that we won't keep it inside us, but that we'll share it with everyone um, that we have the opportunity to speak to. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.